great to see you here today. Go ahead and grab a copy of God's Word and open to Psalm chapter 3. Psalm chapter 3, we're going to actually cover chapters 3 and 4. And if you are a guest here with us today, uh, grateful to have you here. Hope this place feels like home to you. And I'd invite you and encourage you to stick six with us. Stick six weeks is what we ask. So we get to know you, you get to know us a little bit. As you pray through and consider if this is where God might have you be a part and connect on ministry and mission together. And if you are tuning in online, a special welcome to you also. We'd love to meet you in person in the next week or two so we can get to know you also. Well, this series that uh, we started just a couple weeks ago, Praying the Bible. Praying the Bible, where we've been looking at different passages of Scripture. We looked at the life of Christ and how on the cross he prayed Psalm 22. We looked at that example. Then last week we looked at the early church, how they in Acts chapter 4 prayed the Old Testament as well to kind of guide their prayers. And today we're going to look specifically here in Psalm 3 and 4 at the prayers of David and allow it to kind of shape and guide our lives. These psalms are meant to be a guide for prayer in the morning, Psalm chapter 3, and in the evening, Psalm chapter 4. So we're going to read 3 and take a little break, unpack that, and then we'll read chapter 4. But before we dive into this passage, I want you to, to understand what I hope for us to accomplish today through these passages. And I want to do that through sharing uh, this story from Don Carson's book, uh, Spiritual Reformation. It's a great little book uh, if you wanted to read it. But in there, he talks about that there was this um, friend that he had that was driving down the road with his wife. And they see somebody on the side of the road that looks like their car's broke down. They're out of their car. And they look kind of perplexed and frustrated. They've got like a, a suit on, like they're going to something specific. And so the family slows down and rolls down the window and says, hey, is everything all right? How can we help you? And the guy responds and said, yeah, I'm like really stressed out because I'm on the way to a really important business meeting. And I knew I was low on gas, but I thought I could make it to the meeting before I ran out of gas. And they said, don't worry about it. We'll, we'll drive down the road just a little bit. We'll get a container full of gas. We'll come back and we'll, we'll get you on your way. And so that's what they did. They got the gas and came back and helped the guy a little bit. And then the guy, as soon as they filled up with the gas, he got in his car and he sped off. And they're like, hey, make sure to stop in a couple miles at the gas station where we got this gas. And he's like, yeah, 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 we got to go, we got to go. So he speeds off and uh, this family gets back into the car and they're driving down the road. And they get about 20 miles down the road and they see a familiar car on the side of the road. And they look and they're like, that's the same guy. That's the same guy that we just helped a second ago. So they slow down and they're like, hey, what, what happened? And he's like, well, I really needed to get to that business meeting, so I, I assume the gas that you guys got, got me would be enough to get me to my destination, but I, I still, I, I didn't get there. I, I ran out of gas again. And you're sitting here thinking like, dude, how foolish do you have to be, right? Like, just stop at the gas station. You drove past it, refuel, get ready, and, and continue to go, right? You think, that's crazy. Who would do that? But as I think about that story, I think about, honestly, American culture and our lives, that we go and we go and we go until we're flat exhausted. We never pause to refuel. We never pause to refresh. And so our souls are empty. And like I said, through this illustration, I want to tell you my goal today is that through Psalm 3 and 4, that we would see the Lord, the one who is the fuel that our soul needs, the one who we were created for, to worship. And what we're going to see as we look at this prayer in the morning and the prayer of the evening is that these 
are truths. This pattern of prayer, if we pray these things, think on the Lord for who He is, it will fuel and sustain us to rightly live our lives, to rightly focus, to rightly rest. And let me tell you this too, as we go through this, this is not another task for you to add to your list. Because some of you are like, Ryan, I already can't keep up with my tasks. They've got so many, and you're asking me to add like a prayer in the morning and a prayer in the evening, like I can't do it. I'm just saying, if we don't slow down, we will continue to be exhausted. And we live in an age of anxiety, and if we're not going to pause and look to the one who can give us rest, we will continue to be anxious always. So let's look at the Word of God. Psalm chapter 3 and verse 1. It says, this is David writing, O Lord, how many are my foes. Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there's no salvation for him and God. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord and he answered me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept And I awoke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, my God. For you strike all of my enemies on the cheek and you break the teeth of the wicked. For salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. Pray with me this morning. Lord, you invite all who are weary to come to you and find rest. So this morning, that's what we're doing. We're coming to you for rest. We ask that you would help us to remember from these psalms that only you can give rest for our souls. Lord, for our souls need salvation. We need the forgiveness of our sins and the removal of our shame and our guilt. And we read that salvation belongs to you. And so we come to you asking for rest for our souls. Lord, we also come to you knowing that you are our sustainer. So Lord, would you give us rest for our physical bodies? God, as we dwell in these truths, as we dwell in your word today, I ask that you would help us to to think well about them. Open up our minds that we would understand your truth. Lord, let our lives reflect your truth. And this, and this morning, help us to think rightly, and tomorrow morning, and in the evening, Lord, may we come back to these psalms and rightly pray and align our lives to you. Speak now this morning, I pray. Now let me invite you in the silence of this moment to pray from your heart that God would speak to you through his word, that he would open up your eyes to behold wondrous things from his word. Pray that right now for yourself. Would you also pray for me uh, that God would speak his truth of his word through me today in a clear way that would serve you and make you mature and look more like Christ? Would you pray for me now? Lord Jesus, would you hear our prayers just like you heard and answered David's prayers from Psalm 3 and 4? To the glory of your name. Amen. Amen. All right, so first, Psalm 3. Psalm 3, the prayer of the morning. 
And you see Psalm 5 kind of being the highlight of that, where David is waking up, and as he says, he thinks back, I laid down and I slept, and now I've awoke again because the Lord sustained me. This is a whole prayer that he would pray as he wakes up in the morning. And the first point I would say for us as we wake up, let's awake to the goodness of the Lord. Let's awake to the goodness of the Lord. Now, if you know your Bible well, or if you even notice the little sentence right there at the beginning of chapter 3 in your Bible, it's not a verse, but in the original Hebrew Bible, that's actually included in the original inspired text. It tells us what is happening around this psalm. And it says, the psalm of David, when he fled from Absalom, his son. Now, the reason why I bring that up is because if I'm going to say, awake to the goodness of God, you're sitting here saying, Ryan, how in the world? Because it's, this is not a good place for David. David is fleeing from his life for like the third or fourth time. Like it continues to happen. This is a pattern in David's life. And now it's his son who's trying to take the throne that's seeking to kill David. And this is what David is waking up to. He wakes up in the morning to his stress and his anxiety. And you find it in verses 1 and 2. David starts with his, his burden. He says, O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. This is not hypothetical. This is not spiritual. This is literal foes, little people that are hunting David down, looking to kill him. And one of them is his own son, Absalom. And you can go and, and read in 2 Samuel all the fallout of what, what happened here. But we read about David's sin just a few weeks ago as we were finishing up first in the beginning of 2 Samuel. You see the sin in David's life, and this is one of the outcomes of it, that his son's raising up against him, rising up against him, rebelling and trying to take his throne. And so David has this physical pressing on him that, man, there are people that are seeking to take my life. And this is what's on his mind as he wakes up in the morning. And so he brings it to the Lord. But then in verse 2, he brings the anxiety of people taunting him and slandering him and making fun of him. He says, many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him and God. Man, can you imagine where David was to where he is now? If you can think back just a few weeks when we were going through this, we talked about that people loved David. The kingdom were singing songs about David, right? Praising David. He's a great king. This is an amazing king. Look at all the great things that he's done for the kingdom. Look how he defeated Goliath. Look how he rescued us from the the Amorites. Look at all these things. They're singing praises to David. And now these exact same people are saying, man, there's no salvation for him and God. And there's no hope for his soul. There's no hope for him. Now, why would they even be saying that? Well, remember... David's life had become a wreck. He had sinned in a multitude of different ways and then covered it up. I mean, he had committed adultery and then murder and then he deceived. He lied. All these things David has done. So people are looking at what happened to David and they're like, hmm, you're just like the previous king. You're just like Saul. There's no salvation for him, so there's no salvation for you. Man, this is what David is waking up thinking about. And he brings that before the Lord in this prayer. But, but here's the beauty. He takes two verses, two verses to talk about his problem 
And then the other six are the solution. Yeah, wake up in the morning, and when those burdens rush to your mind, bring them to the Lord. And awake your mind, awake your soul to the goodness of God, because that's what David's going to do. Look what happens in verse 3. He turns from the problem to the solution. He says, but you, O Lord, are a shield about me. A shield about me. This is important. Because he doesn't say right here, Lord, you are a shield for me. No, that's not what he says. He doesn't say, Lord, you are a shield to me. No. What does he say? You are a shield about me. Or the Bible might say around me. This phrase is a telling phrase. Because there's two types of shields that were common at that time. You had one shield which was like a battle shield that you had to defend and you'd hold in one hand, you'd have a sword in the other, and you would fight within a battle. Maybe you could use it to defend and and attack and then retreat. You could use it for that. And there's another shield, a shield that David's talking about right here, a shield that is about you or around you. You see that small shield you would hold in your hand? It wouldn't be around you, but another type of shield about the size of a door. You see it here in the image. You have this large shield, which is very likely what David is thinking about. That God is a shield around him. He's a protector. And this is not a shield for hand-to-hand combat. It was a shield that you would use that would lead you to or through combat. It would lead you to a fortress, right? You would use it when you're going into horrible dangers. This type of shield, a shield about you, is... It's not a shield you would use to retreat and to run away with. It was a shield that would go with you through times of battle and danger. It's a shield around you. That's the purpose of it. And so right here, when David says, you are a shield about me, he's not saying, I know that, God, you won't let any bad things happen to me. No, the very image that he uses of this giant shield that's around him means we're going to walk through hard times. We're going to walk through difficult times. But God, you are a shield about me. I won't be scared because I know that you are my protector. I walk even through these hard times for you are a shield about me. And so onward and forward we move in the Lord. He calls the Lord his shield, but he doesn't stop there in verse 3. Look at the other title that he gives the Lord. He is my glory. My glory. Oh, those are two words in English. Two small words, but these are extremely significant words. Very weighty words. You see, glory is a word that they would use to talk about weight. Something that would give you significance. Something that gave you your value. That was what you gloried. And David here is saying, the Lord is my glory. See, David could have chosen a number of other things to be his glory, to be his identity, but he doesn't. He chooses the Lord. Think about it for a second. He could have chose his job to be his glory. The thing that is ultimately significant to him, the thing that ultimately defines him is his kingship and his royalty. That's what David could have placed his glory in and said, this is what ultimately matters to me and gives me significance. He could have said, it's, it's my family. That gives me significance. I got a number of different kids. I love my kids. And I'm a good father to them, right? And so this is where my glory rests is in my kids. 
He could have said, well, you know what? My moral record is pretty good. It's a pretty good moral record. Like if you, if you look at his, his life before his major mistake and you're just like, man, I defeated Goliath and I rescued some people and I you know, was called a man after God's own heart. Like I had all these things. Like, so my identity, oh, my significance, my glory, all is on the fact that I'm a good person. But praise God that that's not where his glory rests. You see, David does not fall into a pit of despair and depression. He doesn't have all this fear and anxiety that he can't release because these things aren't his glory. He's lost them all. If those things were his glory, he would be in a pit of depression. Think about it. He's lost his throne. He's lost it. He's run away. His son is now on his throne. David's lost it. If that was his glory, his significance, it's gone. If it was his family, man, proof right here that his son is hunting his life shows that his family is not going to be his ultimate weight and glory. That's, that's destroyed. His good moral reputation, gone. It's gone. And yet David doesn't fall into a pit of despair because his glory his significance, his weight of his life doesn't rest on all of those things. It rests in the Lord. Now, it's good to be talented at something. It's great to work hard at your job. It's a good thing to have a spouse that loves you and a good family. It's good to, to, to have kids that you care for. All those things are great things, but they're all finite things. And if you wake up in the morning and that's what gets you going, it's those things, those finite things, then you will live your life in fear and anxiety. Because those finite things cannot bear the weight of what your soul has been created for. The Lord. He is the one that sustains you. He is the one that lifts you up. He is. And He is infinite. That's why He can carry the weight of that. All these other things are finite. Man, if we're going to wake up in the morning... With a sense of peace and joy, we have to see that the Lord is our glory. We need to guide and direct our lives around this truth that the Lord is my glory. It's not all these other things. My life revolves around Him. I mean, thinking about the goodness of God, that He's my protector and He's my glory, will guide your decisions in your everyday life. And here's another beautiful thing. In the end of verse 3, He's not just the shield. He's not just my glory. He's the lifter of my head. This is all the goodness that David is starting his day thinking on. This is what he's beginning the daily grind with. Lord, you're my protector. You're my glory, and you're the lifter of my head. We understand what this imagery means of lifter of the head. I mean, if you're downcast and you're sorrowful, and you bow your head, right? You hang your head low. And David is saying, in this very difficult and hard time, God leans in and he lifts my head. He lifts my head to give me hope. That's what he's doing. He's the lifter of my head. Now, we, sh- we should be asking the question with all of this. How in the world does David have hope 
that God will lift his head. I mean, we've talked about all the crazy bad things that David did, how he messed up his family, how he messed up his job, how he messed up his life in all these different areas. How does he know without a shadow of a doubt that, that God will lift his head again? How does he have hope that the, God is going to be good to be the lifter of his head to see? Well, look in verse 4. He says, I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me. How does he know that God answers him? Look at the sin in his life. How does he know that? How does he have hope? He answered me from where? From his holy hill. You see, David realizes two things about God as he wakes up and he's pondering on God. He knows God is a savior and that God is a sustainer. And that's what allows him to have that peace and comfort. Right here when he says, he answered me from his holy hill, what is that holy hill? That is the high point of Jerusalem. This is where the tabernacle would be held. The temple had not been built yet. The temple would be built by David's son, right? We know that's later down the line. But the tabernacle was placed there on this holy hill. Why does that matter? Because there's a whole system put in place that people who know that they're sinners and that the wages of sin is death, they come there and they lay their sacrifice down on the altar, altar and their sin is covered or atoned for. And this is just a shadow of what Christ would do on the cross. To be our ultimate sacrifice, not just to cover our sin, but to remove our sin from our lives. To remove the guilt and the shame that we bear because of the sin that we have. To remove it as far as east is from the west. This is what God does. And so David's sitting here and he's like, you know how I know that God will lift my head? Because he will hear from his holy hill where these sacrifices are laid. And you know what his other hope is? You get down to verse 8. Salvation belongs to the Lord. He realizes, he knows, my salvation does not, best, does not rest on my good moral record. It doesn't. I've messed up. I've sinned. I'm broken. And this world is broken. It doesn't rest in, because I'm a king and I'm royalty. Now God loves me because of the position I have. It's not because he says, look at my family, God. I, I, I followed your command to be fruitful and multiply, so you've got to love me now. No. He doesn't say that. He says, salvation doesn't belong to me. It belongs to the Lord. It belongs to you. It is by grace that I have been saved. And now your blessing be on your people, because it's all in the hand of the Lord. It's, and by the grace of God, he doesn't just look at us and say, here's salvation for you. You can have that. Now you figure out the rest of the life. I'll see you when we get to heaven. He doesn't do that. David says he's not just my savior. Salvation is not just in his hand and we get a glimpse of it on the holy hill. No, you are my sustainer in verse 5. He said, I laid down and I slept and I woke again. Why? Because the food yesterday sustained me. Because my bed sustained me. Because I was able to shut down my mind and I worked really hard and, and it sustained me. No, it's the Lord that sustained me. Which, that'll do a number on your pride. Let that settle in for a second. You can do nothing. You can't even go to sleep at night and wake up the next morning unless the Lord sustains you. What you would consider maybe one of the easiest tasks of your life, like I'm just going to be unconscious for a little bit. I can do this. God's like, nope. Not unless I sustain you. When David wakes up to the Lord in the morning and he's like, here's my problems, God. 
but I know that you're my Savior, and I know that you're my sustainer. Just like you sustained me last night when I slept, you're going to sustain me today as I go. This is where his hope rests. This is where his hope rests. And what's great about this is this should bring great comfort to your life. God does not just care about the big, important moments of your life. Okay? Some of you are like, well, God's there when I started my new job. We had this baby, so God is here at this time. You know, I got married, so God was here this time, right? All these big, semi-glorious moments in life, God was present, but he's not in the mundane things of life. That's not what this passage is teaching us. When we wake up in the morning and we feel the mundane life that's hitting us, God cares about these simplest things. Did you notice that? God cares about your sleep. He sustains you, not just in the high, glorious moments. He sustains you when you slept. Nobody else cared about that. Nobody else thought or cared about your sleep, but the Lord did. The Lord looked at what we think is not that important to other people, and the Lord's like, it matters to me. Man, let that goodness be savored in your soul. And our God cares about every aspect of our life. Yes, he's our savior who offers us eternal life, but he's our sustainer through our everyday life. This is who the Lord is. Man, let it strengthen your heart. Let it adjust your focus and give you perspective for your day as you start it. Now, this is where David starts in Psalm 3. But then he's going to say, this is how we should end our day in Psalm 4. Psalm 4. So let's pick it up there. This is what our prayers at the end of our day should look like. Verse 1 of chapter 4. David says, Answer me when I call, O God, of my righteousness. For you have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O man, how long shall my honor be turned to shame? And how long will you love vain words and seek after lies? But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, who will show us some good. Lift up a light of your face upon us, O Lord. Lord, you have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and their wine abound. So in peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell and safety. This is what our minds should be thinking about at the end of our day. So the point two is this. Let's sleep in the peace of the Lord. Let's sleep in the peace of the Lord. And peace is found not by emptying your minds. Do you realize that? The, the, the application from this psalm is not, hey, you know what? This is what's going to solve your problem and, and get you to sleep. It's just think about nothing. Just try to like empty your mind of everything that happened during that day. No, it's going to tell us the exact opposite. To ponder, to think. Think on what? You look at verse 4. This is an important verse for this whole passage. He says, ponder in your own hearts, on your beds, and be silent. This word for ponder is telling us to meditate, to let that marinate on your mind and on your heart. Think. We're not going to find peace by emptying our minds. We're going to find peace in filling our minds. 
And so often, at least for me, maybe for you too, at the end of my day, I'm, I'm thinking all about me. I'm pondering my life, right? What, what, what happened earlier that day? Or I'm thinking about the future, what is ahead? Or my mind is being filled with problems or needs that I have. But this psalm is going to tell us, don't just consider yourself, but ponder the Lord. It's going to tell us to consider these things of our everyday life, but then put them in relationship to the Lord. Think on those things. Ponder on God's way and also ponder on your ways. You see, that's what David does as he's ending his day in verse 1. He's calling out to God. He's saying, God, I have messed up, I have failed, but it's not my righteousness, Lord. You are the God of my righteousness. You have given it to me. And he starts to ponder on this God who extends righteousness to him. And he says, you have given me relief when I was in distress. What David is doing to close out his day that brings peace to his heart is he's pondering on the Lord. He's pondering on what the Lord has done. Past tense. Do you notice that in verse 1? You have given me, past tense, relief when I was, past tense, in distress. David's mind is not being filled up yet on all the stresses and struggles of that day. He's thinking, God, a year ago, you gave me relief. Five years ago, I had this problem. God, you came through then. You provided for me. You gave me relief in the most difficult of moments. God, you did that in the past, and I ponder your ways in the past, and it gives me peace today. It gives me peace today. See, remembrance of past things brings rest in the present. Remembering the goodness of God will strengthen your faith. But too often we stop just with ourselves. We just think about our ways and our days instead of remembering God's graciousness. And when we start pondering God's graciousness and goodness to us in the past, it'll bring peace to the present. He'll turn our pondering into prayers, into prayers. You see, it tells us in verse 4, it says, Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. See, we... we we tend to only take the first part of verse 4 and live it out in our life. <laughs> we sit on our beds at night and we just ponder on our ways instead of God's ways and we just get angry. <laughs> God, today didn't go the way that I thought it was going to go, right? And we just become angry with ourselves and angry with the day and angry with other people. Man, I, I picture today going differently. Or anxiety is coming in the future that just bubbles up in us and we just get angry and mad of what could be that hasn't even happened yet. You see, we often lay on our beds at night angry about a number of different things or a number of different people. And it causes us to sin. We don't find peace in our anger, right? We're not going to find it. What does it tell us to do? It's okay. Be angry, right? Be angry. Just do not sin in your anger. Well, how do I do that? Well, bring your anger, bring your frustration, bring it to the Lord. Bring it before Him. Pray to Him. Turn that that frustration into a prayer and ponder on his will and his way. And as you start to ponder and to think on his will and his way, that's where you'll find the peace that your soul longs for. You see, in the New Testament, you're going to see the Apostle Paul quote this verbatim. 
In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, he'll say, be angry. It's okay to be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger or your wrath. How do I not do that? You come to the Lord in a prayer. And you pray to him, casting all of your frustration, anger, all your cares upon him because he cares for you. And that's how we can be angry but not sin. Because we're pondering not just on our ways but on the Lord's way. Some of the things that may frustrate us and bring anger to our heart are the very things the Lord is orchestrating in your life for you to be obedient to him. And if we'll ponder on his way, then when we lay down our beds, it says we can be silent, verse 4. And we can pause. We can find peace. If we're not releasing our anger to the Lord in prayer, then we're never going to find peace. Our hearts will never be silent before the Lord. So we'll continue to wake up all throughout the night with the anger boiling within us, the anxiety boiling within us. But if we can bring that to the Lord, ponder on who He is and His ways, then we can be silent. We can rest. We can find peace. You see, in verses 6 and 7, something unique happens right there. Because there's many people who lay on their bed at night, and if it's not anger that's coming to their mind, it's only prosperity. And so they come to God in prayer, but they're praying the wrong prayers. They're praying, God, would you just show us some good? Let your light shine upon us, right? Like, give us the things that we want. What's happening right here in verse 6 is he's saying that there's some people that look at God like a genie in a bottle, that I'm just going to pray to God that give me all the desires of my heart. Give me all the good things. And they use God like a giant pinata in the sky, that if I can just pray and whack the pinata open, God gives me everything I want. And David's like, that's not where you're going to find peace. That's not where you're going to find joy. And David says, some people pray like that. But then he says in verse 7, but you, God, you've put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and their wine abound. Those people that only use God instead of come to him and see him as the Lord of their life, the one that wants to just seek the prosperity gospel instead of look to the God to be their savior and their sustainer, they lack joy. David's like, I have more joy even when they have prosperity, even when they have all the money and fluency that they want. That's what grain and wine is talking about. He said, God, you have given me more joy. Why? Because God is his joy. God is his joy. The things that anchors him, he brings to the Lord, and God calms his heart so he can be silent as he goes to sleep. The envy that might bubble up in his heart, he says, God, I lay that at your feet, that I look to you, not as a treasure chest to be opened so I get the gold inside, but as the treasure itself, you are my joy. This is what he's thinking on and meditating as he goes to bed at night. And in lieu of all of that, he says in verse 8, In peace I will both lie down and sleep. In peace I will both lie down and sleep. You see the two different areas that he finds peace? When he lies down on his bed and when he sleeps. See, some of us think, well, I just need peace if I can just get unconscious and finally go to sleep at night. Like, that's where peace will come. No, David's like, I have peace even when I lay my head on the pillow and I haven't fallen asleep yet. I haven't fallen asleep yet. I have peace even then 
And then when I go to sleep, then I have peace. Why? For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. It's because of the Lord. I have three kids, and they're at the the young age still where they want dad to kind of stay in the room or be close by while they're going to sleep at night. And they'll even ask me, hey, dad, will you, you sit out in the loft until I go to sleep? Or, Dad, will you, like, sit at the end of my bed until I, till just, just till I go to sleep? And like, yeah, I'll, I'll stay there until you go to sleep. And that's, that's because having the Father present gives peace to them. But see, our God doesn't just say, hey, I'll be there until you go to sleep, when you drift off to sleep, but then I'll leave. No, he's like, hey, I'll be there to give you peace when you are laying down in your bed. But also as you go to sleep, even then, I will bring peace to you. I'll bring peace to you. And you can look for this peace everywhere else. You can. And many people have spent their life trying to look for this peace in so many different places. I mean, the, the industry of, of people being able to go to sleep at night from pillows to beds to pills to all this different work they do, it's a $13 billion business as of 2020. People are spending all this money to try to go to sleep at night to find that peace that their hearts long for, right? But it says, you, O Lord, and you alone make me dwell in safety. If you want peace, if we want peace in our life, it is, it's not found by having the highest security system. It's not found in having a great lock on your door. That's not where you're going to find peace. You're not going to have peace because you're like, I've got the security of my job. I'm going to rest well at night because i got a secure job. That's not where true peace is going to come from. It is in the Lord and the Lord alone. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. And if we look to the Lord and we trust in the Lord, like verse 5 tells us, offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord then you will find, and I will find, that peace. I mean, how many, if we just got real right now, how many of our sleepless nights can we trace back to a lack of trust in God? A lack of trust in God. We trace that thread back in our minds, and we see that many of the sleepless nights that we have, because we don't trust the Lord. But as you turn the pages of Scripture you will see people who have trusted in the Lord and have been able to find peace and rest even in the most difficult time. David being one, they're hunting his life to kill him, and he can lay down in peace and sleep. You have Daniel, one of the prophets. He trusted in the Lord and was able to sleep in a lion's den, right? Peter trusted in the Lord, and it allowed him to sleep when he was in prison. Jesus trusted the will of God the Father so much that it allowed him to sleep when he was on a boat in the middle of the storm. We can sleep wherever and whenever if we're trusting in the Lord. We're trusting in the Lord. And I close with this quote from Charles Spurgeon, a great preacher, and he, in his commentary on this passage, just what he said. He said, We rest best when our trust is in Christ. And the trust of Christ is what rocks us to sleep. There is no pillow or bed as comfortable as God's promises. No blanket as warm as the assurance of Christ's love. This is where we'll find the peace and the rest that our souls and our bodies long for.
Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you that you, you don't run from us in our sin. You don't run from us in our anxiety. Lord, you run to us. Lord, we have confidence just like David did, not because of his moral track record or because of his status, but Lord, because of who you are. And may we ponder deeply on that. God, that you are a good God. The one who lifts our head to look to you, our Savior, both of our souls and our eternities, but also the sustainer of our days. God, we need you.